Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Fasting. It's one of the best biohacks because there are so many benefits to your body and it doesn't even cost anything. Fasting can help you live longer, increase your brain power, and even turn back your biological age because it induces something called autophagy. Autophagy swaps out old or damaged parts of your cells with fresh new ones. There's now an awesome product called Spermidine Life that actually tricks your body into thinking it's fasting, which triggers autophagy without any actual fasting required. Spermidine Life is extracted from non-GMO plants and it's super clean. Fast smarter, not harder. Add Spermidine Life to your stack today, whether or not you practice intermittent fasting. Go to spermidinelife.us, use code ASPRI25 for 25% off your first purchase. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that the single most searched nutrient on the internet is vitamin C, which is kind of cool because it has some amazing powers a lot of people don't know about. Today's show is one of the more fun ones because my guest slash co-host here is in the show with me, Dr. Mark Atkinson. And what we're going to do today is answer questions that you've sent in via the blog, via social media, and some of the questions are recorded live from the Bulletproof Biohacking Conference. Tons of questions come in every day, and I totally appreciate it, and I want to answer them all, but there just isn't time to answer all of these. Even if I stopped seeing my family and cloistered myself here at Bulletproof Labs, I still wouldn't get to all of them. So if you're an avid listener and I didn't answer your question for you, Join the Bulletproof forums. You can just go to forum.bulletproofexec.com and there's a whole community of people whose net knowledge is much greater than mine or Dr. Mark's anyway. If your everyday routine looks like mine used to, it includes some bloating and gas, trouble losing weight, digestive issues, and probably microbial imbalances. When I learned that my gut microbiome was directly linked to all that stuff going on, I knew I had to do something, but it was hard to know what to do. And that's how I found out about Viome and the Viome Full Body Intelligence Test. Viome stands out because it uses gene expression analysis, which is RNA, instead of DNA to figure out what my body needs. They even use information they learn about you to create 100% custom formulated supplements and personalized probiotics just for you. Viome gave me the information I needed to really upgrade my health. I've known the team at Viome for almost 10 years and worked with them on their recommendations it's real science. Now, you can give it a try, too. Go to viome.com slash Dave and save $110 on the full body intelligence test. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Mark, he's been on the show before, but if you're a first-time listener, Mark is a British physician and uh, really an internationally renowned pioneer in integrative medicine. 
And uh, we're just hanging out here on the set and just here to answer questions. So this is one of my favorite things to do. Mark, happy to see you again. Yeah, good to see you again. You know, I just, I love this. Um, I love the fact that people take the time to write in with questions, you know, to call in with questions because what it does, it really makes me reflect on it because, you know, a lot of people listen to this and, you know, we're both committed to making this as helpful as possible. You know, and we take this seriously. It's like, you know, there's a responsibility that comes with sharing information and knowledge Hopefully we can explain things in simple ways um, and give people insights. Maybe they haven't you know, thought of before. So let's see what we can do. All right. This will be fun. Before we get started on questions, actually, uh, have you been working on anything for your own personal performance? Any cool biohacks? Any, any big things you've, you've figured out lately? Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. So um, maybe the biggest one for me is I've been learning a lot about using breath. Okay. And I think this is going to be the theme for me this year is like, I, I never fully appreciate how important it is to take charge of your breathing. And so twice a week, I do like a five kilometer run. I live next to the ocean. I'm very privileged to be you know, next to the ocean. And I go for a run. And I've been learning about the importance of actually synchronizing your breath as you place your foot down on the ground. But focusing on breathing through your mouth rather than your, sorry, focus on breathing through your nose rather than your mouth. That makes a lot so, of difference. So what it looks like is it looks like this. So you, when I breathe, I go. And every time there's an in-breath or out-breath, my foot gets into a pattern and they basically synchronize. Now, here's the deal. For ages, my best time for 5,000 meters was about 28 minutes, which mm-hmm. is, I don't know whether that's good or bad. So I start this new um, kind of style of breathing and I shave 90 seconds off my best time first time I go out there. Wow. And here's the other deal. I'm like feeling all this energy whilst I'm running and after running as well. So what I'm starting to learn is that the way we breathe really matters. A lot of it people does. chronically over-breathe. They mouth-breathe. They hyperventilate. Mm-hmm. And you can actually train yourself to focus on breathing through your nose. That's really important. We're designed to breathe through the nose. Yeah. You, know, you know, the hair's capture the particulate matter. Um, we get nitrogen uh, oxide from the nose as well, which is a bronchodilator, vasodilator. It mm-hmm. has antimicrobial properties. And you feel great. Um, so that's, that's been a big breakthrough for me. Just by tweaking my breathing, I can upgrade my physical performance. And you know what? Really enjoy running. Just wow. feeling that kind of energy in my body. So that was just great and a very simple hack. So that sounds a lot like the Tibetan breath of fire. And, and I've done some meditative practices where you do that same thing, where you have like an in-breath that's punctuated. And even some of the art of living, uh, breathing is around very, very rapid, yeah. short things. Yeah. And it's something that's not taught in almost any of the exercise uh, kind of things, even on, on the, the some of the really, really aggressive exercise programs. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about breath at all. Yeah. But it's something where they might say, you know, take a deep breath and relax or focus, but Maybe it's not always about a, a deep breath. It, it could be over-breathing, it could be under-breathing, it could be in the wrong hole, it could be at the yeah. wrong timing. Yeah. And the science of this has come a long way recently. So we cover this in Bulletproof Coach, and we've got a whole section mm-hmm. on using breath. And what I'm realizing is it really is central to everything. Yeah. Anyone who practices meditation or mindfulness, you learn how to keep bringing your attention back to your breath. Um, when you start to realize, wow, I breathe through my mouth a lot of the time, that's a very ineffective way of, uh, of breathing or people breathe too quick, or they don't breathe into their lower belly. Now, the bellows breathing is this amazing, energizing breath hack, whereby if you're noticing that your energy levels are low, and you just want to perk yourself up pretty quickly, 
all you do for about 10, 15 seconds, you go. And that mm -hmm. sounds a little bit strange for people who can't it's, see what I'm doing. You're basically breathing in and out through your nose very quickly. Very, very goes. quickly. Okay. Equal duration length of the in-breath and out-breath. And you're using, and it's called bellows breathing because you're literally using your diaphragm as a bellows. And it's like, hey, five, ten seconds, I'm feeling energized, more focused, more alert. And this is the kind of cool thing with biohacking is like you learn how to take charge of your biology. If you show up in a state in which you're not feeling fully energized and alert, and that situation requires that of you, you can change your state and you can use your breath to do that. Since we're talking about breath, and brother, we didn't plan to do this at all. <laughs> it's kind of fun. There's another thing I learned. For about five years, I did Art of Living breath work every morning and every Saturday I'd, I'd go, at least most Saturdays, I'd, I'd go with a group of really successful entrepreneurs mm. and we'd like 7 a.m. on Saturday morning go do this crazy breathing because like mm. it was kind of like taking a mental shower. But there's a breath that, that we learned called, I think they call it the caffeine breath. And I'm sure that there's a name um, in Sanskrit that I don't know for it. Yeah. And you got to see this on video. Uh, if you're driving your car, I'll just try and describe what I'm doing. But what you do is, is you put your arms up above your head. And then this will make weird noise on my microphone probably too. And then as you're breathing out, as you're lowering your arms down, you drive them down almost into your ribs. And you breathe out through the nose like this. And you do that just a few times. And you can actually, like, if you're fading in a meeting, you can actually like, go into the bathroom and do three of those. <laughs> and it totally wakes you shifts up. Shifts your state, right? It, it shifts your state in a major way. And, and yeah. so there's all these, these breathing hacks yeah. that I think we're mostly studying in, in probably India Yoga and, traditions and China. And, yeah. And just and actually, the Russians are super into this stuff too. If you yeah. look at like Russian system A and, and yeah. some of the other martial arts, there's a lot of that. But it, it's fascinating. And I think not enough attention has been paid in the biohacking community to breathing. So, We'll make it the year yeah. of breathing. Yes, same for the medical community as well. Is like, you never get taught about uh, how to breathe properly. And I'm realizing if you care about your energy and performance and you care about training your mind to be able to pay attention and keep focus on things that matters most to you, you have to learn how to regulate your breathing. So when we're done with this, we should head downstairs at Bulletproof Labs. We could breathe 100% oxygen, far beyond 10 liters a minute, well under an exercise load. Yeah. <laughs> or we could breathe no oxygen <laughs> under an exercise load and see what happens there because I'm spending a lot of time yeah. lately manipulating oxygen levels in the blood with some yeah. pretty profound effects um, yeah. that over the course of the year I'll be talking about. So yeah. It's, a, it's a, a neat time to, to be looking at all this. It's, it's very cool. I'm pretty convinced it's the cutting edge of the biohacking, but I, I, there may be some people who have been using breath work for a long time going, yeah, you know, this is kind of obvious stuff. But I think you know, we're starting to learn a lot more about it. And, and I think for anyone listening to this is like, you know, you can read about simple things like Pateko breath method. You mentioned the, yeah. uh, the art of living. Look it up, Google it. You know, just read around the subject a bit. Practice some of the breaths. You know, one of the, the, the breath techniques that I teach a lot of my clients, particularly those who are stressed, feeling tense, feeling a bit anxious, is a relaxation breath technique called four, seven breathing. You breathe into the count of four through your nose, mm -hmm. out to the count of seven yep. through the nose. So much longer out breath. And what happens when you focus on the prolonged expiration, it triggers the body's parasympathetic nervous system, yes. which triggers the relaxation response. And hey, Preston, like two, three breaths, you just got this wave of calm on the inside. So you can energize yourself, you can calm yourself in pretty short period of time. It's pretty cool. Okay. Well, should we go on to the, uh, the mm -hmm. first question? Let's get our first question. This looks like it's uh, Bjorn from Bangkok. Hello, Dave and Mark. This is Bjorn calling in from Bangkok, Thailand. Thanks for hosting a great show. So I have a question regarding fat adaptation. 
um, is fat adaptation really black and white? Meaning, are you either fat adapted or not? And is there a danger to eat too many carbs for ketosis, but too few for optimal energy levels? So that, that's two questions. And fat adaptation is not a binary state. It's not a zero or a one. It, it's, it's a sliding scale. So can you relatively easily burn fat or do you almost not burn fat at all? If you've been a raw vegan or a raw low-fat vegan for a while, man, you're going to really not make lipase the thing that you require, the enzyme you require in order to digest fat. And it's, it's probably going to make you have an upset stomach when you eat it. And you're going to need to take betaine HCL and take lipase until you can turn your pancreas back on to make that enzyme and your liver. And that takes at least six weeks. So certainly you can be at one end of the spectrum or the other, but you're never going to be zero fat adapted. There's a name for that. It's, it's called death. If you can't metabolize fat, you're probably going to die eventually and not that far away. And then I don't know that there's anyone out there who only burns fat without any protein consumption turning into glucose because you probably also die from that. Uh, so you're going to be somewhere in the middle between those extremes. What do you think? Yeah, so you know, you, you basically you do what works and what energizes you. And so for a lot of people, like, you know, like, like heroin, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> okay. and also, kind of, and also the caveat is also whatever's legal as well. Um, I should always do that caveat. So, so here's the deal is that we can run off both fat and glucose. And, and in yeah. reality, that's what a lot of people do. We all do. We all do. And that's normal. That's healthy. And, um, you know, if you want to be strictly keto adapted, you have to significantly reduce your carbohydrate intake. It has to normally be less than about 20 grams of carbohydrate per day. I come from the clinical world, you know, my experience using ketogenic diets is people with cancer, you know, and what we found is that you have to get the carb levels right down really low, even like down to 12 grams per day. You have to restrict protein intake as well because mm -hmm. excessive protein can convert into glucose as well. But the reality is that's really hard to stick at and do. You know, 95% of you go on the ketogenic diet will not stick with it because it's too hard. So what you do is you bring on the exogenous sources of ketones, such as brain octane. <laughs> and there's also a question of what level of ketones you need. And this is one where it depends what your goals are. Depends on your goals. Right. And if it's anti-cancer, you need to be eating these, these very low things. Yeah. Uh, and even then, there's a question of how long should you eat that? And uh, we have a bunch of bulletproof people going to Dominic D'Agostino's uh, conference coming up here around ketosis, and he's one of the leading cancer researchers mm -hmm. there. And I can say, I, I don't think we know, like, is mm -hmm. two weeks long enough? Is six weeks? And if you come out, how frequently should you come out for cancer? Yep. But I believe, and, and that's why the Bulletproof Diet is structured as a cyclical ketogenic diet, is that if you don't come out occasionally, there's probably a biological cost of doing that. Mm. That said, there are people who have been in ketosis on very low-carb diets for years, and it totally works for them. And they feel great. My experiment didn't succeed there. Like, mm. I, I was totally willing to, like, I'll be an Eskimo. I'd, I'd fine with that. So mm. when I tried to do it, I, after about two and a half months, I started getting really dry eyes. Mm. I started getting really dry sinuses, and my sleep quality just went away and like something was clearly not right. Mm. And what ended up happening was I developed some food allergies because I couldn't make enough mucus to make the lining of my stomach or tears or, or basically mucus in the sinuses. And so I was deficient and I couldn't make enough carbohydrate from protein in order to make the polysaccharides that are there. And my total carbohydrate consumption was one serving of broccoli a day. 
and I ate some meat and just tons and tons of fat. So I, I was very religious about this, mm. and it was not a good outcome for me. Mm. I'm still just about done with those food allergies. There's still a couple I'm working mm. on. Uh, so that won't happen to everyone. Mm. But one reason a lot of people go on low-carb or extremely low-carb ketogenic diets is they're going to starve the candida, mm. which is a form of yeast, right? It is little known in alternative health circles, but it's well documented in a study. Yeast can eat ketones just fine. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to yeah. starve the yeast by going on a, on a low-carb diet. You avoid sugar, which can be really helpful, but for proper immune system functioning, you might even need a little bit of starch. Not a lot. You don't want to overfeed the yeast. And there's a great argument for going on a zero-carb diet for a while while taking antifungals and then switching back to carbs. But I, I think that... Long-term ketosis without a break is maybe appropriate in some situations, but for the average person, having a break from ketosis, even if it's a one-day break, so your body has some building blocks, it, it's probably it's probably worthwhile. I'm much more realistic for the average person. So, you know, most of the time I'm a low-carbohydrate diet once a week. I increase my carbs. I feel great in there. And that's what you got to do. It's about personalizing the diet to you, to what your goals are, mm -hmm. your energy, your performance. Um, using um, like brain octane to supplement the ketones, you only need to increase the ketone levels just a very small amount in in, yeah. in the blood, right? You know, so you don't actually require that kind of much. Um, um, and play around with it. That's one of the joys of of biohacking is you're experimenting and you're right. experimenting what works for you. What works for another human being is not necessarily good for you as well. So bring in flexibility to it. Have that kind of curiosity and experimental attitude as well. There's some cool studies around the level of ketones. And, and so I used to be like, well, you know, I, I have to pee until the stick is purple on, on a yeah. ketone test strip. Or, you know, I, I want a level of 2.0 or higher or, you know, it, it's just not good, uh, 2.0 on a finger stick. But when I really dug in on this, I, I found that 0 0.5, which is technically you're not really in ketosis, that that's a, a really an amazing limit. Mm -hmm. And at 0 0.8, you go into officially nutritional ketosis. But if you can raise your ketones to 0 0.5, two big hormones change. Uh, one of them is, uh, is ghrelin, which is your, your hunger hormone. And the other one is CCK, which is your satiety hormone. So all of a sudden, you reset your body's hunger levels to your current body weight at 0 0.5. And the question is, how do you get there? The old way is eat no carbs for four days, lots of fat, and you'll get there. The new way is put brain octane in your bulletproof coffee and use a blood meter to see how much of it you require, but it will metabolize. I can eat 0 0.5. I can eat donuts. I don't eat donuts. I haven't had donuts in many years, but if I did eat them, uh, or I can eat some other starch source, it doesn't matter. I can still hit 0 0.5 as long as I'm using enough of this, uh, enough brain octane. And that has been a game changer for me because then I'm in control of my hunger. Then I'm not going to eat stuff I shouldn't be eating or don't want to eat. Yeah. I think that's the two biggest yeah. things is like, you know, when you start having some uh, extra ketones, the cravings mm -hmm. go away, yep. which is, you know, if you struggle with cravings, mm -hmm. and particularly if you're at the extreme end of like food addiction, food sensitivities, you know, carbs on your mind all the time, chocolate's on your mind all the time, you have to use caffeine consistently to increase your energy. Try adding some brain octane because <laughs> what it does, it just, the cravings disappear and you feel yeah. like a different person because when cravings are around, cravings are often in charge of you oh, and yeah. they deplete your energy, the kryptonite. And so that's the first thing cravings go, but also you get the smoother, more consistent energy as well. Because when people are wholly carb dependent, mm -hmm. you know, that's when they used to say, when someone's wholly carb dependent, you've got to eat five times a day. Well, that's true if you're carb dependent. But if you're not carb dependent and you're using healthy fats, 
and you've got moderate amounts of protein and you're adding in brain octane, you don't need to eat five times a day. <laughs> Actually, you probably need to eat just probably twice a day yeah. in a compressed window uh, period mm-hmm. of time, and you're going to feel great on it. Right. Uh, assuming, it, at least in my experience, uh, especially for women in the morning, they probably want some protein and fat, so they might do three times yeah. a day. Uh, but they can certainly tolerate two times a day. But yeah. the intermittent fasting with nothing in the morning yeah. tends to be much harder for women. That's intermittent really fasting, this new idea, the, the bulletproof intermittent fasting, which is, is fundamentally different. It's in the morning, you have bulletproof coffee, which has calories. It has mm. butter, but it has no protein. So you're only activating your fat processing, not mm. any of your, your protein or your sugar processing. That's just a different thing. But yeah. those tend to work really well. And, and that's why yeah. you know, the bulletproof diet sold uh, substantially north of 100,000 copies now. And like it, it's a, an ongoing thing where people are like, oh, wait a minute, like something big shifted for me when I started doing yeah. that. And, and you're seeing other health, health people uh, who maybe previously would have been recommending lentils and things like that for their you know energy density or something. They're like, wait a minute, mm. <laughs> this idea of butter and coffee kind of works. And, and you're seeing it now. Uh, in lots of places because it's so powerful. And we're hearing about it all the time. And, and you know, intermittent fasting is a great idea, but it, you know, in reality, it's pretty challenging because if you don't have anything for breakfast, you know, oh. uh, you know, people's moods go all over the place, their energy crashes. That's why having the bulletproof coffee with the healthy fats in the morning really stabilizes it. You know, and there's always, you know, there's always caveats to this. For example, people mm-hmm. with adrenal fatigue, you know, often oh, yeah. will, you know, also need some sustenance in the morning as well. So yeah, you've got to really protein, work. Right. Yeah, you've got to have some protein and, and some healthy fats. So you really got to work with your body. And, and so we need to move away from this idea that there's a fixed way of doing things right. Yep. There really isn't. It's about doing what's right for you, having experimental attitude, doing, um, doing safe things, reading around the subject, educating yourself. But then really, once you hack it, and most people do pretty early on, you're just going to feel great. It is yeah. a game changer and is the foundation for mental health as well. Because there's a lot of people here you know, who will be listening to this who do not feel good. Right. I and was like that for years. Yeah. You, you just can't. And likewise, you know, I, I experienced depression for a whole period of time in my life. Could never really understand why that was. Went up to my head and said, well, is it a psychology thing? And that's where people tend to go. It's a psychological issue. Well, actually, you know what? Often it's a biological issue. Amen. It's a blood sugar issue. It's not enough healthy fats or quality protein issue. It's a food allergy or sensitivity issue. It's a mold issue. And mm-hmm. so if you do not feel good and you have mental health issues that have been labeled as depression or anxiety, throw away the label, put on your detective hat, and actually say, okay, I'm going to start with my diet. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to start hydrating myself. And then see how that impacts on you. Keep away from the kryptonite food, the kind of food that which you're sensitive or intolerant to. And the majority of people, particularly when they come off processed foods and sugar, will feel so much better. I, I think you must have read uh, read our mind here because Carolyn, who's age 32, just asked a question that you just half answered, which oh, is okay. great. <laughs> no, no, this is yeah, perfect. Yeah. And yeah. she said, do you have any good hacks for stress and anxiety? I've always been a stressed person and it's starting to affect my work and relationships. Please help. Yeah. And yeah. You, you just nailed it there with what you said about kryptonite. And if you're having stress and anxiety, there is always an energetic component to it. And I don't mean energetic like, you know, we're meditating and, and you know, imagining unicorns, although there can be value in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I mean is actually... I'm, I'm pleased you believe that as well. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the rainbow rainbow pooping uh, rainbow uh, unicorns are the best ones uh, yeah. for, for the squatty potty. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, if you haven't seen that video, you got to go on YouTube and look at that because it's the funniest video I've ever seen. <laughs> anyway, now we'll get out of our rainbow bathroom humor and back to stress and anxiety. Yeah. All right. So energetic. What I mean there, I mean bioenergy as in fuel. Mm-hmm. So if, if someone is is experiencing stress and anxiety, like there's this really amazing thing that can happen. This isn't the only source of stress by a long shot, but okay, blood sugar goes down because you have unstable blood sugar. Body says, hmm, there's not enough blood sugar in the brain. Survival emergency, I'm going to die. So let's secrete some adrenaline, which raises blood sugar, right? It also raises cortisol, which also raises blood sugar. So now your adrenal hormones and, and your cortisol went up. And when those go up, that now change your thyroid hormones. So your T3 hormone goes into reverse T3, which is a bit of a problem. And what ends up happening is, let's see, my blood sugar went back up and now my cortisol and adrenaline is high. So you end up creating this cycle where blood sugar goes up, blood sugar goes down. And when that happens, you are going to get food cravings and you're going to feel stress. In fact, a lot of the stress and anxiety that people feel, when you learn to divorce the stress and anxiety from your body, from what's actually going on in your mind, you'll realize that the vast majority of the stress that you feel is coming at you right here from from your chest or your gut, or it's actually physically in your body. And it can be a response to a biological thing that has nothing to do with whether you're mad at the person with you, even if you treat them like crap because you didn't have enough glucose in the front of your brain. This is my life. Like I used to be a total jerk. And uh, it, it happens, and it's when the kryptonite gets gets into you. And the kryptonite can come from a water-damaged building. That's why Moldy, the documentary, is out here. It can come from eating kryptonite foods or eating mm. suspect foods mm. that are okay for your friend but not okay for you. Exactly. Like for me, you give me bell peppers. I actually like red bell peppers, mm. right? But I eat those things. I feel stress and anxiety. Yeah. Download a Food Detective. Uh, uh, this, Caroline, would be really good for you. Food Detective gets your heart rate. It's a free app uh, from Bulletproof. And it gets your heart rate before you eat, and then you measure it after you eat. And if you eat a suspect food, something you're sensitive to, your heart rate's going to go up in a predictable way within 90 minutes after you finish eating. So I've had this happen. You're like, wow, like I actually noticed my heart rate is really high. Like, like you can feel it. You're like, oh, what did I just eat? Oh, yeah. There was some piece of, of uh, something in there that I shouldn't have eaten. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and it, it actually comes through as a stress response. And normal people, when there's a stress in the body, like I'm going to die stress, that the body's telling you, you believe it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, your significant other is a total jerk and mm-hmm. you wish they'd stop bothering you. Mm-hmm. But it was all about the food. Yeah. Yeah. What other hacks for stress and anxiety do you think about? A whole bunch of things. That, this yeah. is an area that I'm really passionate about because a lot of people suffer necessarily. And so there's a couple of things. First of all, Caroline, um, I invite you to stop identifying yourself as a stressed person. <laughs> That's not going to work. Yeah, it's not going to work. So we <laughs> want to evolve that to, you know what, I experience stress from time to time. Yep. And it changes your relationship. Um, there's many causes of stress. We've got the biological and then you can have like thyroid issues. You can have adrenal fatigue can drive stress. You have food intolerances, food sensitivities, allergies, all those can, can drive stress. But then there's a the psychological. And what they find is that people, um, a lot of people who experience stress and anxiety often believe a lot of their thinking. Yeah. Please do not believe your thinking, particularly if it's unhelpful. And so a really good hack is that what, start noticing the stories that go around your head, <laughs> divide them into helpful, unhelpful. Mm-hmm. If it's helpful, it empowers you, it energizes you, it makes you a better human being be fused by it, be energized by it, use that story. If that story is depleting you as a human being and undermining your self-worth and leading to criticism of you or others or making you feel tired, lonely, then you want to what we call diffuse from the story. And Mm -hmm. there's a number of ways you can do that. The first thing is you can just tell yourself, 
wow, my, my head is creating a story that I'm not a good person. By doing that, you're creating a gap between who you are mm-hmm. and the story as opposed to I'm not a good person. There's actually, there's a psycho living in most people's heads. If, if you take the voice in your head and you were to put it on your mom or a friend, you'd be like, that's the worst mother on the planet. That is not my friend. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I've learned through lie detector tests on my head, you know, the 40 years of Zen mm-hmm. kind of work, uh, as well as just advanced meditative practice, is that, look, there's a separate intelligence that's in the body that's only job is to keep the body alive, and it doesn't give a rat's ass about what you want. And if that's sitting in there going, you know, ah, you're a stressed person, you know, ha, 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 look at that, threat, threat, that person wants your job, or, you know, what, what, whatever negative messages are going there, like, like you can draw a line there. And you can say, all right, so there's a, basically a crazy person who, who's running in my head, but it's not me. It's, it's something that's there. It keeps me from getting eaten by tigers. It has a role, but I don't have to believe it, mm-hmm. right? And then there's another voice in your head, which is like the voice of goodness. You got the angel on each shoulder. There's you know, the nice one and the devil on the other one. Well, you're the angel one on your shoulder and the devil one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there's voices there. You can listen to them. You cannot. And the other tweak I would make on the language mm-hmm. here, Mark, is instead of I experience stress from time to time, mm. it's actually that my body experiences stress mm, from time to time. Very good. Because when the stress comes mm. in, it, it can literally be stress for, for a purely physiological reason. Mm. But most people will believe that mm. it's actually a psychological reason. Mm. And yeah. sometimes it is. You may have PTSD. Like mm. you, you, you may get triggered by something. Yeah. And that's all good too. Yeah, very good. Uh, the other thing we didn't talk about is heart rate variability training. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, a huge fan for anyone who experiences stress. I, I do this with clients all the time. It, it's like, look, get heart rate variability training equipment. And there's there's two ways to do it. The inner balance sensor, we carry it on the Bulletproof website. Uh, that thing works really, really well. And you hook it up to your ear. It works on your iPhone. The other thing that's a little bit more affordable but works differently is called Stress Detective. It's a Bulletproof app. And there you get a heart rate monitor. Uh, you wear it all day long for a few days. And it'll actually give you a graph all day long to tell you, okay, when are you stressed, when are you not stressed? And when you do that, you suddenly get a map of your stress throughout the day. But the most powerful thing I know is to sit there and just spend 15, 20 minutes feeling what it's like when the light turns red on this little sensor. It's cost like 99 bucks or something. And then feeling what it's like to make it go green. And pretty soon you realize, wait a minute, my body's experiencing a stress response and I don't like that. Mm. So I'm going to take my body with one breath out of stress mode into parasympathetic mode. You can do that. It's totally within your power. It's a learned skill. You spend two years sitting in a monastery learning it, or you can spend six weeks with a sensor on your ear. It doesn't really matter, but like it's totally within your, your control. Yeah. And the great thing with heart rate variability training, as is biofeedback training, when you get moment by moment feedback, it accelerates your ability to master the skill. Yeah. So when it comes to stress, there's a couple of levels. It's like dealing with stress in the moment, mm-hmm. building healthy self-care as practice that means you're getting enough quality sleep it means eating the right foods it means taking downtime for rest and Mm -hmm. relaxation fun stuff that kind of thing and there's also the deeper level of dealing with the big underlying drivers of stress so for example if you're in the grips of addictions if you have a history of trauma and ptsd if you experience codependency which means that you fuse with um, another human being and you lose your sense of self these are big drivers of stress if you're in a job or being exposed to abuse or harm. So we need to be able to deal with our stress in the moment, 
we need to take good care of our um, of our self care, but also we need to be able to deal with the big things. Mm-hmm. And often, then you know, you may require the help of a trained professional to support yeah. you in that. That's often the case. So we need to work. So if you're under stress, yeah, learn how to deal with your stress, but also ask yourself: Is what's the most significant contributor here? Is there something outside of me that um, I need to attend to? If you're in a relationship that is um, demeaning to you, then you need to move out the relationship. If you um, are using drugs of abuse, if you use alcohol addictively, then you need to get into addiction recovery and seek help of that. So there's so many different levels to the stress. Yeah, it, and if, if you have PTSD or if you have a codependence, the odds are about 100% that you don't know you have them. And, and in fact, you probably get pissed off if someone tells you that you have them. I, I only know this because I've had them both. <laughs> so I, I used to have codependent relationships all the time, and I don't anymore because I did my work. Uh, and I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck. So literally, I came into the world thinking something was choking me because it actually was. And I had no idea this had any bearing at all on my stress levels or anxiety or <laughs> any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it's a chronic background stress. And it's just like being colorblind. If it's always been there, how would you know that it wasn't normal? And it, for me, that was normal. And, and all of a sudden, it, it actually took two days of like focused work before someone's like, you have to be feeling something in your body. I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of angry. And like, no, there's something else. And, and in fact, this is Barbara Fendeisen from the, she's the, the head of the American Pre and, uh, Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association. She's like, well, no. There must be feeling. I'm like, oh, it's in my gut. She goes, yeah, there's a name for that feeling. <laughs> I'm like, really? And she said, yeah, it's fear. I'm like, so I'm experiencing fear for no good reason right now. I had no clue because it had always been there. Yeah. And then I could work on it. So if you're stressed like that, like, and, and these basic things around fixing your food don't work, uh, go to a professional. Uh, I recommend EMDR is the fastest way I know of in psychology if you're not going to do neurofeedback to just tweak yeah. on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, um, it really is, you know, the final thing I want to leave you with is this idea of um, whenever you have a stressed mind, take your attention off your head and the story, turn your attention into the body and notice what's happening in the body. And often you're going to find a whole bunch of tension sitting there. Yeah. Breathe into it. Part of mindfulness meditation practice, learning how to just simply be with and allow and welcome the experience. And what that does, it automatically starts to relax it. So heart rate variability training, mindfulness training, meditation training, yoga, tai chi, find some kind of discipline practice, which you come back to yourself within your body, seeking professional help wherever, uh, wherever you need to be, um, and not taking unhelpful stories personally. And, and if that doesn't work, you can always like get a little doll of the person who's bothering you and just stab it over and over. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so whatever that urge is, you got, you got to get on top of it and understand it. Yeah. Next one up. Okay, next uh, one. Okay, so this is uh, from Jennifer, age 39. How can you adjust the bulletproof diet to work with professional cyclists? For instance, cyclists requiring that much calorie and carb intake to be able to ride the bike and race as long as hard as they do the 15 to 18 hour fast doesn't really work on a daily basis, especially during the race season. Can you adjust the bulletproof diet to specifically elite level cyclists? The last thing I would recommend is someone who's during race season or during times of high physical burden, don't do intermittent fasting. Oh my gosh, don't no. do bulletproof yeah. intermittent fasting. No. I, I, I see this a lot with CrossFitters. I'm like, guys, I know like, like you can get a little bit leaner that way. And with bulletproof intermittent fasting, at least you got the calories. But you're taking something out of your physiological bank account 
when you're pushing yourself that hard. And it doesn't matter if you're doing endurance or just heavy training of any form without recovery. And you'll see this whether in heart rate variability, and you'll see this in your inflammatory things, uh, the blood markers. So what you want to do is, this is going to be revolutionary, eat breakfast. But it's going to be a high-fat, moderate-protein breakfast. And I don't recommend that you start out the ride with, uh, with carbohydrates in the system. You don't need to, depending on how long the ride is. And what I've seen, especially in triathletes and all, is starting out with that, that carb being fat-adapted, adapt, having brain octane uh, in the meal uh, early on. Eat something that feels relatively light to you. Collagen protein may work really well. Some vegetables may or may not work really well for you. You're going to have to play around with that. Uh, and then you can eat as much as you need to. And yes, you can raise your carb levels. Your carbohydrate requirements are going to be much higher yep. if you are during race season, and it's okay. But because you have carbohydrates doesn't mean you get to go have Gatorade and, and whatever else that's, that's full of fructose and other sugar like that stuff. You want to still stick to the bulletproof template, which is here are the suspect foods, eliminate the suspect foods, what are the starches that work better? And that means having some starch, but not necessarily you know pure sugar. However, during a race... Halfway through the race, you want to switch over to burning sugar? You know, I have no problem oh, yeah. with straight glucose as long as it doesn't make you fart all the time, which it can. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's a bit of a problem, although for a pro cyclist, it's like jet propulsion, so you're okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, that, that's my take on it. And I, I have not been a pro cyclist, but I used to ride 20, 30 miles a day on a road bike for years when I was fat. And I stayed fat, and my aerodynamic shadow wasn't very good. <laughs> but I had fun with it. And, and it's that time somewhere halfway through or a third of the way through a race, depending on what you're doing, uh, where you're going to need to switch over to carbs. Just because you switch over to carbs, though, you don't have to give up having ketones. You want to be burning two things. things. Put brain octane in the water bottle. You can actually do that. You can shake it up with whatever else you put in there. There's nothing wrong with having that and having even coffee during the race. I don't recommend bulletproof coffee, though, because the long-chain fats – that are in Bulletproof Coffee are not going to burn really efficiently. The brain octane, which is one of the four kinds of MCT oil, so this is not about generic MCT oil, which causes a lot more gastric distress, by the way. The last thing you want is disaster pants or, I guess, disaster shorts when you're racing. Uh, but when you put brain octane in there, it forms ketones more easily than coconut oil or MCT oil. And it's these ketones you can burn. So in order to kick the most ass on a cycle, you want to have a source of glucose halfway through the race, and a consistent source of ketones so you can use both. And that's going to give you the best results. And um, even if you're eating bananas the whole race, if that's your race fuel, that's okay. Take some brain octane with them. That's going to make a difference. I know a few cyclists actually use the Bulletproof Collagen Bars along the way. You're going to have to test that one and see if that works for you or if it doesn't work for you. Um, different people, different ways, but that general template, be fat adapted, have lots of ketones in the system, burn out the, the glycogen you've got, and then start refueling it at the same time you refill the fat stores with brain octane. Anything else you'd say? Nope, you got it. All right, cool. Yeah, that was easy. Yeah, that's bang on. Great. Okay. Uh, so Carolina, Collister, age 34 on the Hi Dave. Just wondering if I'm breastfeeding, if it is okay to drink bulletproof coffee. It is also okay to take glutathione force and eat your chocolate. This is a big question, and if you've read the Better Baby book, I, I spent a lot of time looking at, at these issues, and I don't talk about them as much on Bulletproof. Mm. Uh, my wife, Dr. Lana, has a fertility coaching practice and answers these questions all the time. Yes, if you're breastfeeding, it's okay to make Bulletproof coffee. There's just one problem. You might not want to drink it. Mm. <laughs> so here's how to do it right. 
caffeine specifically passes through breast milk and it can be stimulating for a baby. So very few people who are breastfeeding are going to be happy if they drink coffee because their baby is gonna not sleep as well, which means you won't sleep as well, which means that coffee actually makes you tired in that case. So the simple hack is decaf. But here's the issue. When your baby is getting breast milk and uh, around the time of pregnancy, any form of toxin affects babies far more than it does adults. And decaf is well-documented to be a higher toxin coffee. It's higher in the toxins that are, that are, made, uh, that are used to make the coffee uh, to be decaf. So there's basically solvents that are used. And the second problem is that beans that you would never, ever actually use to make good coffee, they'll decaffeinate those because yeah. some of the flavors are removed anyway. So I'm particularly cautious around recommending decaf during pregnancy because ochratoxin A, uh, the primary coffee toxin, the one that is more present and even allowed to be more present per European regulations that don't even exist in the US, uh, that toxin causes uh, mitochondrial problems. These are cellular energy problems that are gonna be more important for a baby than they are for an adult. So it's important for women and babies uh, to avoid this stuff. So be very careful with the decaf you use. We use our bulletproof quality beans to do the decaf and we use the solvent-free process. There's actually a lot more work that went into creating the decaf than there is uh, the caffeinated coffee. So just be very careful there and it's better to have no coffee than it is to drink uh, moldy coffee. And you certainly, uh, if, if you have you know a few sips of someone's coffee, it's not gonna be a problem. But if you're gonna have bulletproof coffee every day, you may see that there are issues with the milk. If you're pumping, you're also gonna see that you may get caffeinated milk and then you give that to the baby at night and like mm. your life is gonna suck. Mm. Uh, the other thing around glutathione force, absolutely. Yeah. Glutathione force is so good because you want to, to amplify your body's detoxing systems. Because if your liver can take it out, it will. If it can't take it out, it'll put it into the breast milk. So having higher levels of glutathione to help you get rid of the toxins from your diet and your body so they don't pass on to the baby, I think that is a really good idea. Uh, Lana certainly took glutathione the entire time she was pregnant and, and breastfeeding. In terms of eating uh, the Bulletproof chocolate bars, they actually have some of the, the Brain Octane and XCT oil in them, so you get some of that extra oil. That oil, by the way, is profoundly important when you're breastfeeding. Up to 17% of breast milk can be the, the medium-chain triglycerides, at least some of them, but not all of them. So this means you wanna be eating butter, you wanna be eating coconut oil, and you want to be eating brain octane specifically to change the ratio of fats in your breast milk. Now, if you eat the chocolate, you're going to get some of those fats. You're going to get the, the amazing cacao powder. But a lot of babies are sensitive to the chocolate that the mother eats. So if you take, you just test it, eat the chocolate, see how the baby does, see if there's changes in energy or rashes or anything like that. And by the way, this could be true of any of the other suspect foods that are on the list uh, where uh, bell peppers, grains, uh, things that you used to think you tolerated, eggs sometimes, they pass through some proteins into the milk and then it doesn't work. So what I'd say there is you have to test the chocolate. There isn't that much caffeine in there. I think you'll probably be fine, but also beware if, if the milk is pumped after the chocolate, there's a little caffeine, there's theobromine, and that may affect the baby if you give it to the baby at night. So I'd say chocolate, maybe, coffee, decaf, and make it bulletproof, and glutathione force all the time. Yeah, good. So just uh, on the glutathione front, mm -hmm. just to stress how important glutathione is, you know, it really is. And you know what, there is some good evidence correlating autistic spectrum disorder with low levels of glutathione as well. In, in the mother or in the baby? In the baby. 
in the yeah. baby, right? Yeah, and so that's being correlated. Yeah. And so we know that glutathione is really important in deactivating toxins, uh-huh. reducing oxidative stress. So we know that glutathione is really important for you. It's also really important to take it in the liposomal form so it's properly absorbed. Well, there, there's different science there, right? Like, So if you take glutathione, you can just buy it. Uh, it will digest in the stomach and you don't get it. It's just yeah. a bunch of expensive amino acids that way. So the first generation was to, to make liposomal glutathione, which means you wrap the glutathione in a kind of, of shell of fat so it absorbs. But that shell of fat only absorbs in the top like five and a half inches of the GI tract. So it, it sits under your tongue and up here, but it goes into the stomach and it doesn't absorb very well. And then what we do with glutathione force is we use a liposome and we have a patented technology that adds a, a lactoferrin onto it. So it absorbs throughout the GI tract. And so you get, in, in a study of this delivery system, not for glutathione, but just uh, it's actually used exclusively in pharmaceuticals, except for us. Like we stole that from the pharmaceutical industry instead of the other way around like it normally is. Um, and so in those studies, you get five to eight times better absorption of whatever the molecule is using this technology versus liposomes. So the idea is to, to sort of like, how do we get it into the system? And frankly, um, if if it's within your means, and if you're especially if you're struggling or you're just really tired or something like that, get intravenous glutathione. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a game changer. Right? I do that whenever I get a chance. I, I was in New York last week, and uh, after that long flight out there, uh, I slept three hours. Was on uh, Squawk Box, uh, the CNBC show, and right afterwards, I saw a friend of mine uh, and who uh, a physician nutritionist there who does IVs and got a glutathione IV because yeah. like it, it just recharges you. So. Yeah, it's safe, it's cheap, you feel mm-hmm. the benefits pretty much straight away. Uh, one thing on the caffeine, um, just some kind of interesting facts around the caffeine, you know, um, so from mum drinking a caffeinated drink to caffeine showing mm-hmm. up in the breast milk, just 15 minutes, it peaks at one hour. Um, the half-life of caffeine for, for an adult is between mm-hmm. two and six hours, but for a newborn baby, it's three to four days. Interesting. Yeah, and so what happens is that the caffeine goes into the baby, and and this, and the studies that I've looked at show they get about up to ten percent of the dose of caffeine ingested by the mother, mm-hmm. but they have such a long tea half life that it stays in the system for significant periods of time. Do you remember how long that is after after birth? Oh, I just remember it was a newborn baby. Maybe newborn, so, so yeah. The, the first three months, like babies don't even make melatonin. Like they have to yeah. get melatonin from their mother's breast milk. Yeah. Well, that's a neat hack. Um, if you take milk that you pump at night and you give it to a baby in the morning, the baby's going to fall asleep. But if you take morning milk, which is high in cortisol, and you give it to a baby at night, the baby's going to be up all night, mm-hmm. and so are you. So like, it, it's, it's amazing how these systems have evolved. And I know that for children, but I don't know where the cutoff is between newborn and children, but it might be around three months. Mm-hmm. Children metabolize caffeine twice as fast as adults, mm. which is mm. why people say, oh, my God, you give your kids bulletproof coffee. I'm like, yeah, when when they turn one years old and they, they both actually actively are fighting me to get even black coffee because apparently my kids always like coffee uh, with no sugar, no nothing. But when we do it bulletproof, they just love it. So they get a little espresso cup. It's like one to two ounces and they get it every morning. And the caffeine is negligible for their system, but the fat is not. And they like the taste. Mm. They like how they feel because they're getting the brain octane. And then they go to school and they don't need a snack, although their friends are all eating snacks. They might have one, they might not. But mm. the, eh, I have to eat, the, the, the children's the cranky good. crash doesn't happen. And yeah. it's totally liberating as yeah. a parent, right? <laughs> you know, just one thing is I thought around the caffeine is like, I, I know we shared around decaffeinated, bulletproof decaffeinated mm-hmm. is the ideal. But there's going to be a whole bunch of moms that are still going to have coffee because they're going to feel tired and <laughs> oh, stuff. Yeah. And so I just want to say to you is like, 
uh, I've, I've, re- I've looked the literature of this, and you know, the general consensus is up to 300 milligrams a day. Yeah. Probably certainly does no harm to the baby. So, oh yeah. So I want you to know if you listen to, if you do have your cup of coffee in the morning, it's almost certainly not going to do any harm. Just monitor your baby, see what kind of happens. But yeah, you're pretty safe as long as you you keep it to one or two cups, particularly early on in the morning. It's also interesting. Uh, Postum, which is this uh, coffee, it's like a burned grain full of uh, some really unusual toxins uh, that was uh, promoted as a, a counter drink against coffee back in the early 1900s. Uh, the people who did Postum came out with these huge campaigns against coffee. And one of them was that coffee stunts the growth of children. And it's, there's no evidence for that. Like they just sort of made this up in a marketing campaign so they could sell burned grains, which actually do stunt the growth of children. But mm-hmm. uh, so I, I don't think there's a safety issue. There's yeah. just a mother's sanity issue. That's little, that's and, and look, here's the deal. If you're going to like, like yell at your family, you're completely non-functional and you're like, you know what? A cup of coffee is what I need right now. It doesn't mean you're a bad mother. It, it actually means that you're human. And if you decide, I'm going to have this even if baby doesn't sleep quite as well, you know what? You got everything done that you need to get done. <laughs> like, this is the world we live in. We don't have two hours a day to sit and meditate and ohm all the time and, and you know, eat perfectly. So you got to live. And even the same with adrenal fatigue. Yep. Like, if you're drinking one cup of mold-free coffee mm-hmm. in the morning and you have adrenal fatigue and it gives you your life back while you're, in, while you're recovering, Do it. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah, had like really it. bad adrenal fatigue. Don't yeah. do it all day, every day, but yeah. a little bit yeah. in combination with adrenal hormone, whatever, yeah. like you're okay. You got it. Okay, great. Okay, next question. Uh, so Becky, age 29, my husband is a lean guy. He's six foot nine, 200 pounds. He exercises three to five times a week. But we found out he has prediabetes. His HbA1c is 5.8. I'll explain what that is in a minute. Uh, this was alarming news as his mother has type 2 diabetes. What would you recommend for someone who has prediabetes but is not overweight and already exercising? So I'd love to start on this, if I may. Go for it. Okay, so let's uh, explain a bit about what prediabetes is. So prediabetes is essentially a condition in which your blood sugar levels are higher than what they should be, i.e. normal, but less than that which would diagnose you as being diabetes. The reason we're concerned about it is because a lot of people with prediabetes will eventually convert to diabetes. So pretty much within 10 years, most people with pre-diabetics will become diabetic. Now, there's an estimated 37 million American people have pre-diabetes, the majority of which do not know that they have it. It is a symptomless kind of illness. However, there's some clues that you may be at risk of it. If you're overweight or obese, uh, your body mass index is 25 or above, unless you're pretty muscular. Um, then you want to get checked for prediabetes. How do you do that? You get a blood test. The blood test is called HbA1c, which is glycosylated hemoglobin. You get the blood test done, it comes back. If it's between 5.7 and 6.4 inclusive, that provides a diagnosis of prediabetes. 6.5 or above is diabetes. You really want it below 5.4. So for yourself, uh, for your husband, Becky, um, so your husband had 5.8. Now, I want to reassure you because it is a fully reversible condition. It's yeah. like, and, and, and I want to be respectful when I say this, I get excited when people come to me and say, I've been diagnosed with prediabetes. And the reason I'm excited is, is I'm saying, wow, this is great because right. you've picked this up before it's progressed to diabetes and it is fully 
reversible through diet, lifestyle change, changing the way you exercise through supplementation. And I'll talk a little bit about supplements, then we can talk about maybe changing the way your husband kind of exercises. Your key supplements for prediabetes are vitamin D, alpha lipoic acid, which is an antioxidant, Mm -hmm. chromium, magnesium, omega-3 essential fatty acids. And And maybe some cinnamon? And you can add cinnamon, that improves insulin sensitivity as well. Those are your core ones. Any functional integrated medicine doctor, nutritional <laughs> therapist, yeah. they know all about that. So, um, And it's a good idea to work with someone who's pretty skilled in this area as well. So right. I'd encourage your husband to do that. But let's maybe let's talk about um, exercise, intermittent fasting, kind of dietary stuff as well. Well, the, there's two other things that, that'd be kind of kind of cool. There are, in, in normal studies, drugs can give you about a 1% improvement in HbA1c yeah. and exercise done normally can do about a 1% improvement. So those are relatively small things. Now, the question here for me, Becky, is you're like, well, he's been exercising three to five times a week and this is happening. Well, I don't know how else to put it. Like exercise isn't what you do when you're fat and exercise isn't what you do when the energy systems in the body are broken. It's actually how you spend energy and it's possible for exercise to make it worse, not better. It doesn't always make it worse. Exercise is generally good for you. But water is also good for you too, however you can drown. Right? Mm-hmm. So like it, it's actually not okay to say exercise is good or bad. It's the, the right amount of the right kind of exercise at the right time is going to be beneficial. And the other, the other side of it is probably not. So what I'd want to know is I'm guessing there's a lot of cardio involved here, which, which can affect your cortisol levels, uh, which can also cause blood sugar swings that, that aren't necessarily beneficial. Uh, we also don't know... Uh, what he's doing in terms of diet. My guess is if he's exercising three to five times a week, he's probably eating a lot of carbs. People who believe in the exercise uh, uh, paradigm as like, that's what you do to get healthy. I can eat what I want. Um, It's not true. And and a guy who was uh, one of the inventors of of blade servers, this is uh, um, one of the fundamental technologies that let data centers scale in the evolution of, of the cloud. Like I guarantee you that some of the people listening right now are, are going through servers that are controlled by the patent this guy made. He was a semi-pro cyclist, a uh, friend of mine in Silicon Valley. His name was Chris. And he died on Sand Hill Road at, uh, I believe he was 43, uh, my age. And he was a semi-pro cyclist. And he'd ride 50 miles before work and just the guy made out of steel uh, and then he'd go have beer and pizza because, like, well, that's okay. The exercise cancels Sorry. it out. And uh, he actually, Lance Armstrong tweeted uh, when he passed away, um, just a, an amazing, just super high-energy guy. But what I'm saying there is that exercise doesn't cancel out diet. Diet trumps exercise every yeah. single time. So you got to look at, okay, three or five times a week is actually a heavy exercise schedule. So maybe more intense but less frequent exercise and very specifically weight bearing high intensity exercise. I have a machine downstairs uh, that is actually shown to improve HbA1c uh, by 8.2%. Now keep in mind, drugs are 1%, exercise is 1%, and this machine does 8%. What does it do? It causes your bones to flex. It's called a, a biodensity machine, and, and they're, they're usually seen at very high end, like doctor's offices or something. But you do four exercises, that that cause this bone flexion, which is replicating high impact exercise. You don't want to do high impact exercise. It's going to wreck your joints if you do it regularly. 
But essentially, you can get close to this by lifting as heavy as you can with your core muscles. So squats, uh, deadlifts, things like that, those are going to actually stimulate a little bit of bone flexion, and that changes your hormones so that your blood sugar can correct itself better. And this isn't really well understood, but you can actually beat things. And, and finally, I would absolutely consider, and I know I'll piss some people off with this, I'd consider metformin, the anti-diabetes drug. Oh, I'm a big fan of metformin. Yeah. yeah. I, I've taken it for about five or six years. I'm not on it right now. Yeah. And I did it not because, actually, mm. I did have pre-diabetes um, mm. when I, I first was like, okay, I got to fix this. Mm. Uh, I believe my fasting blood sugar was around 112 or something. Mm. Not mm. so good, 117. And... What I the reason I started taking metformin had nothing to do with that. I already lost the weight. It was because metformin mimics the effects of restricting calories on your genes. That's right. So if you want to live a long time, metformin is considered to be an anti aging drug. It is. The reason though that I'm concerned about metformin, there's two reasons. One is that if you Google metformin in mitochondria, it actually inhibits mitochondrial respiration. Which okay, maybe that's why you live longer. But I actually want my mitochondria to just kick ass. That's also an anti aging strategy. Mm-hmm. The second reason to, to think about metformin is that. Metformin is shown to make permanent changes to your ability to absorb vitamin D from your, sorry, not vitamin D, vitamin B12 from your diet. So your B12 receptors could be modified and it may be irreversible. I've been on it for six years. But if I had prediabetes and it didn't respond within three months to improved exercise, eating the bulletproof diet and things like that, uh, I would uh, I would then consider metformin and it wouldn't make me a bad person. It would make me a biohacker. Absolutely. And I have a whole bunch of patients who, I tend to attract patients who are kind of anti-medications. Yeah. And then what I do is I say, well, hold this a sec. This is an open field. We've got to intelligent look at what's best for you. <laughs> do and, what works. Yeah, man. do what works and what is most safe. And a lot of them I'll recommend taking metformin because, yes. um, because of its anti-aging effects. Um, it can reduce B12 levels. So you've got to supplement with methylcobalamin as mm-hmm. well. Um, but it, it's it's a great hack, and 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 I'm pretty convinced that between exercising in intensely and, and infrequently, and infrequently, you know, just you know, maybe twice a week rather than three to five times mm-hmm. a week. Um, intermittent fasting, of course, doing the bulletproof yeah. intermittent fasting. Oh, that's a fasting. huge. I wouldn't even say that one, yeah. and that's that's yeah, a requirement at this yeah. point. It, it, it is absolutely absolutely essential that you know. Um, uh, he, he experiments with that. One, he'll feel great on it, but two is that it mm-hmm. just really improves insulin sensitivity. You'll bring down the HbA1c. You'll feel much better. Um, just one thing I want to finish on, just for people listening here, a lot of people don't know they're pre-diabetic or even diabetic. And so I just want to put out some of the yeah. symptoms to watch Ooh, out for. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So um, there's a couple of hallmark symptoms that indicate you have moved beyond pre-diabetes to diabetes, and they tend to be blurred vision, uh, fatigue, thirst, increased urination. Those are the four kind of hallmark signs. So if you're listening to this and anything kind of rings true here, or you're overweight and age over 45, or overweight under the age of 45, but you have a family history of diabetes, heart disease, high cholesterol, um, you are of um, uh, African-American origin, Native American origin. Um, If any of that is true for you, I really strongly recommend you check in with your doctor to get your HbA1c checked, along with some other bloods as well. Not like vitamin D. You should get those two. You know, core things like <laughs> vitamin D, HSCOP, which is a mark of inflammation, would be great. There's loads, homocysteine, there's, there's yeah. loads. But as a bare minimum, you could be doing yourself a huge favor because if you pick this up quick, often my experience is it really motivates people to change uh, change their diet, change the way they exercise, mm-hmm. add in some supplements. It's fully reversible. And then in a short period of time, you know, with three to six months, 
um, most people see uh, a good reversal. The other thing I'd add, Becky, your husband is 6'9 and 200 pounds, but he's relatively thin. So not mm. all people with prediabetes are mm. are going to be fat at mm. all. In fact, mm. it's more dangerous to have fat packed in around your organs than it is mm. to have love handles. But the other thing he should really probably take up is yoga, and that's because it's the only way he's ever going to fit on an airplane just like me. <laughs> all right. And on that note. <laughs> uh, let's go to uh, Charlie, age yes. 40. Okay, Charlie, age 40. Um, okay, there's a lot of exclamation marks in here. So this is, this is actually, a re- I, I was really pleased to see this question because it says, please help, exclamation mark, I've met my kryptonite. Someone broke a CFL light bulb, so that's a compact fluorescent light bulb. I cleaned it up and I was exposed to mercury. I don't know the best way to detox this, question mark, help, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I've got a whole bunch of things to say on this. Yeah, I, I do too. Why don't you start? Okay. There's a couple of things. Is um, There's a whole bunch of different light bulbs. So let's just maybe do a, a, yeah. a, a review around that. There's the, the traditional incandescent light bulbs, which unfortunately are becoming a ban threat in North America. Yeah, and, stock and, up now. Yeah, stock up now whilst, whilst it lasts. So the ban was introduced the last couple of years. Incandescent light bulbs, they work, you know, um, electrical current goes to the wire filament, heats up the wire filament, emits light. And it glows consistently. Glows consistently. Um, and then along came high energy efficiency bulbs, of which, you know, this kind of compact fluorescent bulb is. Now, this works very differently. So electrical current goes through a small tube containing argon and mercury vapor that then emits ultraviolet light, which interacts with a phosphorus lining on the inside of the light bulb. And then that emits light. But you know you've got a compact fluorescent light bulb because it takes ages to kind of um, to warm up. Yeah, it gets d- d- lighter, yeah. lighter like that. The problem is it And they, they look like mercury. curly too. Like they're they're, the, they're, cur- the stupid curly bulbs you should not allow in your house. Those there ones. you go. That's the one. So those are the um, compact fluorescent bulbs. And then you've got LED bulbs, which are light-emitting diodes. And so what you there is you've got this positive-negative charge that brought together, creates energy, distributes as light. High, high-efficiency um, now, the problem with uh, the compact fluorescent light bulbs is they contain mercury and not an insignificant amount as well. They, they also make light that's toxic to our bodies in the absence of all the other spectrums. Uh, but we won't even talk about that side of them. Let's yeah, just go into the mercury yeah. side. But yeah, we, <laughs> I want to talk about that oh, side, yeah. but, but we'll come back. <laughs> not, not in this episode. We'll run not out in this of time. episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, so here's the deal. You know, um, if a compact fluorescent bulb is broken, it is a hazardous situation to be in. And needs to be taken seriously. And so there's a couple of things you need to do. And I know I'm not quite answering your question yet, but I just want to give, yeah, we'll give the heads up to people listening to this. Um, the first thing is you've got to get out of the room. You've got to open the windows. You've got to put fresh air into the room. Because what's happening is the mercury vapor is, is being released. In fact, it needs to be more specific than that. I, I teach my kids this. Like if one of those bulbs breaks, you run. You like, like literally, you run out of the room. I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. You don't take one breath because yeah, the concentration yeah. is highest right where it breaks. Yeah. Literally, it's like there's a like someone dropped a, a really bad nerve agent. You don't want to breathe that, so you just get the hell out. You you, yeah. you can come back and clean it up, but let it disperse so it's yeah. diluted before you expose yourself. Yeah, to it. It's, it is, and you got to take it that seriously. Yeah, you know that's and particularly if you're pregnant. Oh God, yeah, young children, <laughs> babies, yeah. babies. You just grab and go, and you and you and you leave the someone else to sort out. Uh-huh. You, yeah. just, you just don't return. Or if you're nursing, just yeah. don't do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. And then you're going to go back and then you're going to clean it up and often use kind of stiff cardboard or whatever it is. And um, whatever you do, don't use a vacuum cleaner. And I hear this a lot. 
where people say, I use the vacuum feeding day, because what's going to happen is um, that milk is going to go into the vacuum and then you're going to distribute it around the house. So stay mm -hmm. away from using the vacuum cleaner. You need to kind of tie it using um, cardboard. Ideally, you then put it into a glass container that is sealable. But if you put it into a plastic bag, just realize the mercury vapor will still come off. Um, and then you need to dispose of it responsibly. Now, depending on where you live, um, you know, the local authority will probably recycle it, et cetera. But it needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. But there's a whole bunch of things you need to do to protect yourself. The number one thing is to get out. Then the number two thing is you've got to take liposomal glutathione. Because liposomal glutathione is a or, magnet. Or glutathione force, which is better than liposomal. Yeah, got it. <laughs> and uh, that's a magnet for mercury. And so that's how you support yourself. Um, any other kind of input on that? Well, yeah, there's some evidence that activated charcoal can be good for mercury. And you should upregulate your antioxidants. So vitamin C yeah. would be really, really important. Alpha-lipoic acid. Uh, and even high polyphenol foods, uh, things like that can be really helpful. Uh, turmeric, things like that. Uh, cilantro may be a good idea when you first get exposed to it. Uh, cilantro is another chelating agent. Bentonite clay also has been used. So the idea here is to bind these things. I'm a little concerned because uh, Charlie here, who, who broke the bulb, doesn't say what happened. You know, I've met my kryptonite. Someone broke a bulb and I cleaned it up and I was exposed. But we don't know what symptoms. Mm. And here's the thing. Mm. You may clean it up and just be like, oh my God, my, I have brain fog. My joints hurt. I, I feel terrible. You may also have no symptoms at all. And you could just have stress Absolutely. and anxiety. Like, like the, the degree of variance here is very high. There are studies of people who work in mercury mines. Mm. And in fact, mercury polluters love to use these studies. Mm. And like, oh, look, see, there's no problems at all. And what actually happens is that People who work in the mercury mines quit after six weeks because they're too sick to keep working mm. if they're susceptible to mercury. Yeah. And the ones who have unusual genetics who can basically swim in mercury, they keep working there and they think everyone else is crazy. Yeah. So like the degree of susceptibility is different. The other thing that you mentioned that's really important is getting rid of the broken glass. Mm. Uh, there was one case I know about. It, it's anecdotal, but it's still evidence because mm. it's an observation is a, a parent had a broken CFL in their, their young child's bedroom. And so, oh, it's broken. Whatever. They swept it up, tossed it into the trash can in the bedroom. And the child was exposed to the vapor, right? And it broke and slept with uh, the, the shards in the room and woke up neurologically changed. The, the baby ended up having autism and just a profound behavior changes from one day to the next that were almost certainly related to, to that. Wow. What this means for you is get that out of your house, as in don't use those bulbs. There's no biological reason. They're hard on your eyes. They create oxidative stress on your cell membranes throughout your body. They'll probably give you macular degeneration if you use them for many, many years. They flicker at a rate that is imperceptible to you but causes stress in your body. They have no place in your house. And anytime they break in a room, which does happen with light bulbs regularly, um, they actually create an EPA toxic site. Like you should have people in hazmat suits come and clean it up if you believe the, the regulations of our own government about mercury exposure. So why are you putting these in your house? It's an unconscious act, and it's time to stop. What's better? Halogen and incandescent provide the most biologically compatible light. Halogen's more effective, about 30% more efficient than incandescent bulbs. And from there, LEDs are way more energy efficient. They're also five times more suppressive of melatonin than even fluorescent bulbs. So in my house, I have halogen lights, the 12-volt halogen lights, regular halogen lights most of the time. And I have LED bulbs outside the house. Yeah. 
but those are red LED bulbs because if you put LED bulbs outside because they're cheap, guess what lives outside? Birds and stars, and you kill both of them. So if you want to be killing stars, as in no one can see them anymore because of your light pollution, just put LED bulbs all over mm. your backyard. Uh, otherwise, dim exterior lighting, red spectrum, you can see, and it doesn't affect insects, doesn't affect birds. Uh, I'm not going to affect the bald eagles and the owls and the sea creatures that can actually see my house. So at night, I look like I'm a vampire, but I'm biologically healthier, and so is the world around me. Okay. Really, uh, really good question. Huge, important yeah. subject. And well, that, that was a fun way to end things, talking about uh, red lights on the outside of your house. Didn't <laughs> think we'd get there in today's episode. But, uh, Mark, it's always fun to do these. So we're going to do a few more of these uh, because the feedback uh, that I hear on these is, is really good and that people just like being able to ask the questions. So if you like this, head on over to Facebook, head on over to our forums and ask a question. And we've got full instructions there on how you can actually leave us a question with a voicemail as well, which is kind of cool so we can play the question out loud. Uh, however we do it, though, ask the good stuff. And if lots of people are interested, I'll, I'll go there. Mark will go there and we'll answer it. Uh, so thanks for listening. Check this out on, on iTunes. Just head on over and leave a review. It's one of the biggest things you can do. Uh, something else you can do that might be fun is uh, not very long ago, I just finally joined Instagram uh, personally. And we have the Bulletproof account on Instagram where you'll see all kinds of cool stuff that's uh, related to Bulletproof. And on the Dave.Asprey Instagram account, I'm posting all sorts of crazy pictures of stuff that I'm doing that probably won't make it to the level of Bulletproof, but it's still a lot of fun. So that's Dave.Asprey on Instagram. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.